Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to David Koenig-Green, food technologist and BRC global standard consultant and salsa consultant. And no, salsa is not a dance or a tomato-based sauce. David is our go-to technologist within the business because he can distill down a seemingly complicated issue into a few actions you need to take in order to become compliant or to observe best practice. We've been working with him for close to 14 years. We love working alongside him on label wording and layout, trying to strike a balance between what we must say, what we can't say, what we'd really like to say, So we can get a legal label that uses the best of good practice to make it easy for consumers to understand and with enough marketing to help sell the product. Hear what the Christmas present he was that shaped his career. What food can he never get too much of? What products and categories he thinks he will see more development in in this year? What advice he would give you if you were starting a consultancy as a food technologist? As always... David's advice is concise and simple, but very, very worthwhile. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Let me introduce you to David Koenig-Green. How would you describe your job to other people? Someone who helps make safe food without being trading standards, environmental health. So I'm there to support you, not necessarily close you down. Yeah, a, a more approachable face of Hopefully. some of those things. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm I'm certain of that. Do you think that your friends and family understand what you do? No. <laughs> and and how would they describe what you do? Or all they would probably say is, "I do something with food, help to make it safe, go to lots of factories." It's pretty good. <laughs> it is funny, isn't it? I think the food industry doesn't pigeonhole easily. And, you know, it's not like if somebody says, I'm an accountant, everyone thinks you know what that is, even though in the same way there are lots of different types of accountants and things. But I think food industry jobs are very often totally misunderstood by other people. And even uh, we did a, an interview a couple of weeks ago with a guy in the creative industries and he says that his family don't really get what that means he does. He does branding and they're always asking him, does he do tele-adverts? And he's like, no. <laughs> but, and I so I do think it is, but, but I think the food industry seems that although everybody thinks they know what food is and they know how it works and things, there's a lot of naivety about how things get from your from a fact you know get start being made and then end up on the shelf there's a lot of people involved in between that people know nothing about yeah you know? pe- people think i either spend my day testing products in the lab like a you know chemist or microbiologist mm. or i spend my day going around lots of factories tasting lots of different products 
right. common question. Do you need? Do you eat lots of different food? Then do you have to taste all the food? Actually, I don't do. That's my job. I'm no. You know, I'm auditing the factory usually, or yeah. looking at the lab result rather than actually eating products. Yeah, it's not the organolytics of it that that are concerning you. No. When did you first know that that was what you were going to do? When did that influence what you started doing at school and things? How early on did you decide that food science was your thing? I actually started off wanting to be a chef when I was four. What created that interest, you know? Yep, Delia Smith. Ah, bless her. She was the celeb chef of the time. Yes. I still love Delia now. Yep. that just inspired me just to get in the kitchen, um, mud pies in the garden, doing some baking, just just being in the kitchen. That's what I wanted to do. I really liked it. Yep. That lasted till I was 11. I remember this clearly. Got chemistry set one Christmas in the sack of presents. I was going to be a scientist, but still liked being in the kitchen. Fast forwards to A-levels. The combination. Sciences, home economics, food science, put them together. And we moved on degrees and just went into the world. Did of work. you do a home food economics science. A level then? I did the A level home economics brackets food science and technology. Yep. Yeah. That's because you're younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> that, that version didn't exist. <laughs> no no but, food tech. No food tech. No. It was home ec with yep. food science and uh, element of nutrition. Which is great. What a valuable course. Yep. A shame that it doesn't quite exist anymore. But. And what other subjects did you take at A-level? And was that easy to get those all I, I on did, the same timetable? I did some, what you would say, some traditional A-levels. So I did chemistry and well, I did home economics, as it was, yep. as I just said. But I also did AS levels in um, physics and human biology. Gosh, so that's really useful. Because yeah. my physics wasn't so good <laughs> so right. i did i left it after as level did human yep. biology so i have a mixture of a levels and as levels yep which in those That's days really were good. standalone qualifications yeah but also you know sometimes it's very difficult if you're doing anything home ec related they don't think you should be doing anything else clever and so very often your chemistry and your home ec are timetabled against each other or because they're just not expecting you to be doing both of them and yet they're really useful to have and particularly for what you went on to do it's so useful to have an understanding of both of them I mean the other similar thing that I find often is people not understanding how different a factory ready kitchen done recipe will be to how you would make it at home, where you're not bothered about shelf life or volumes or yields or, you know, and just sometimes people say, yeah, I've got a recipe. And then I, you know, when you get their recipe, you're like, so this is like a recipe from a magazine, not a manufacturing (laughs) recipe. There are no timings on things. There's no mixer speeds on things. You know, I mean, it's such a different thing, but having an understanding of the home economics side of things too will make is part of what makes it easier for you to explain things to people too. I'm sure. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. we we also covered things like the Education Act, Consumer Credit Act, Food Safety yep. Act. So a very very um, broad range, not just 
saving you know, 50p no. off a meal, but we also no. did, did budgeting as well. Classic, you know, you, yep. you've got £2 to, to make a meal for, to feed four people. How can you? Yeah. It's, um, it's incredible, isn't it? And I mean, these are such useful skills. And as we've all discovered in the last couple of years, you know, what you eat how you eat, what goes into your body makes such a difference to how robust you are against infections and things. It seems like madness to me that they have missed that out of the curriculum and that generations of people now have no cooking skills, live in houses without ovens because they live in social housing. It's too difficult, too expensive to put in an oven. So they just buy a microwave. They don't even have a hob often. It's such a shame because just to be able to do some good basic things makes life so much easier, you know, and, and not always using an oven because that can be expensive, but just being able to make a pot make, soup. Make, exactly, or, make, make something with, you know, just, just a, a few staples. Yeah. 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 I know. I, I was asking um, my, on my social media this week about what are the things that you would go to? What are the things you would make? when you know that that don't cost a lot but and and we were talking i was talking about a thing called stovies which is scottish thing that you would have done to use up the leftover meat basically on a monday from a sunday and there would be more potato than meat a bit of onion either stock if it was really posh normally just a bit of lard from the meat as well and a bit of water and it cooked in the steam and you ended up with a big plate of potato that had a bit of a meaty taste to it, you know. And But those simple things or family food type Italian pasta dishes and things are, are very often the best things, aren't they? What childhood memories do you have of food? A varied selection, uh, to be honest. Some, some of it we did use, look, looking back, so the what you would call scrag ends, meat, poor, poor meat cuts, neck chops, yep. things like that, which, again, looking back, it, it was a funny-shaped, you know, plate. Yep. There was bones in it, but there was a bit of meat. Um, it was because there wasn't much money necessarily to buy food, but yep. it was casserole that was cooked slowly. There was vegetables, potatoes, so actually reasonably healthy overall. Yeah. Some days you'd make your own chips, You'd make your own Cornish pasties. Um, I've lost. You know, make make a selection of products. Yeah. Um, literally from from scratch. I also think too. I mean, meat now is actually often a lot cheaper than it was. You know, in terms of your overall budget and spend, we didn't eat as much meat at home because it it wasn't as accessible as it was. And I mean, things like chickens you would get once in a blue moon, not all the time and not used as the basic in so many meals and things. But I still love all those things. One thing that I didn't like was that whenever we had macaroni and cheese at home, because I think my dad thought that if a meal didn't have some degree of meat in it, it wasn't a meal. So we always had chopped ham tinned ham in that macaroni and cheese and I never liked that I would have rather just have had the macaroni and cheese but it's it's funny isn't it my dad also thought that pasta was a uh, that 
macaroni was a Scottish thing because it came in that Marshall's box with the tartan <laughs> on it. It wasn't pasta, it was macaroni, you know. So it's funny too. But I mean, and it's not something you see as much now. You know, there isn't as much macaroni in the supermarkets as in the early days that was all there was. So funny. If we think about when you meet people, what first impression do you hope you give to them? Hopefully someone who can help your business in a sort of practical way speak the, language, the technical language in a way that you'd understand it and then we can get technical again later on if we need to, not go in straight away EHO speak, as I call it. Yeah. What does that mean in English? Yeah, and what does that, in terms of where you are now and where you need to be, what needs to happen, which is what most folk need to know from you, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's a, yeah. a skill set that and people in different sectors learn. We all have jargon. Somebody writes a report, yep. gives you some recommendations. What does that mean? What does that mean in yep. English? What do I need to do? Yeah. My, my, account, no, think... my accountant does it with me and I go back and say, what does that mean? What What do I need yep. to do? I say red, amber and green. What do I need to pay most attention to? <laughs> What's nice to know? You know, do it, do it that way for me. Please don't swamp me with stuff because sometimes... It can seem daunting when somebody comes here like that. But I would agree when we are telling customers that we think they should have a word with you, I always start by saying that you know everything, but you know how to only tell us what we need to know to get something right. And and I think that's very true that you are very approachable, that you've you've got all the knowledge. I have no doubt that whatever you're telling us, you know everything that's behind it but you resist the temptation to tell us all of that as well, which I'm always very, very grateful for. And I know that any time we do introduce folk to you, you know, that's always what they say, that it, that it was easy, that it was a straightforward conversation, that they knew what was expected of them. And then you can detail down how they need to do it and and how that will work if you're working with them on it and then they can get on with it. So it's great. I know too you're doing more BRC now than necessarily getting people ready to start for salsa but it, or or necessarily doing salsa audits but you tend to work with people that you did that with before but but now more of your time is being spent helping people get to BRC is that a fear there's been a, a change in in the, the landscape Yep. I think agents and brokers for BRC has taken off. Mm-hmm. So perhaps before it, it's nice and easy. It's still food related, but it's, there's no factories, obviously. Um, that fits in nicely with working remotely. It's yes. horse, it, horses for courses still have salsa clients or people that are starting off entry level food safety right. certification. Still yep. need the support, BRC, all the Big third-party schemes don't fit everybody. No. It, it depends on the market, the consumers, customer requirements. Some, and the some, skill set within their factory too and how much they're able to do for themselves and how much they need somebody to walk them through it. Ex- exactly. The number of inquiries you tend to get, I've got, for example, maybe Salsa, I'm looking at BRC, what's the next step? Um, or yep. they've had nothing and think they need BRC within two months. Um, actually, they probably don't need BRC at all. Um, 
but but it's horses it's horses for courses and one size doesn't fit all uh, hence why we offer a selection of different certification different options knowledge and support yeah yeah and you do a lot on legal labeling too don't you i help uh, companies mainly smaller companies give them uh, labeling support advice what they need to do to comply maybe one aspect of a label can i say x can i make this claim um I've yep. done a redesign. Is this okay? Or it may be the whole label sort of design needs to go on this with a designer yeah. from from a recipe. And between us, we we make a legally compliant label. Yep. I mean, I know that is something that we often refer people to you for because there is so much knowledge needed behind that. Not just the which piece of legislation is this, but have there been court cases or examples of people being prosecuted or that have shown us a different interpretation of it and things? And I know you're often very good at being very up to date on things like that. And I think that's why, to me, if you're going to print 5,000 of something, it's worth making sure before you do it that everything's in the right place and I know, I know you've said to me before that people sometimes copy another label doesn't mean that label's right just because it's on the shelf doesn't mean it's best practice we, we all make uh, mistakes with labeling gets checked by several pairs of eyes uh, the more people look at it and give their input the more likely you are to get something legally compliant uh, Sometimes you do see, especially small startup brands, perhaps looked online, seen a competitor's product, printed off the FSA guidance. I've had a go at doing a legal label. Can you just have a quick look at this for me, thinking it'll take five minutes? I need to know by five o'clock, ready for the print <laughs> run. And actually you go, which country are you selling it in? It It's, it's illegal or it doesn't comply for this, this and this. Um, so actually you will not be ready for five o'clock print run. Not very often, but it does happen. No. Has Natasha's law had an impact on people seeking help to make sure they're compliant? I I think a lot of the confusion, especially for the the inquiries I've had, have been from people that have already sold pre-packed products, so they've already been fully labelled anyway. So it doesn't make that much difference to what they're already doing. However, no. they've had inquiries from their customers which have said, here's new legislation, fill in this form, tell us what you're doing, without fully understanding that they were already that it's compliant, already compliant with it. yeah. Or, yeah. Or even things that the market's changed, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that's interesting, isn't it? Who have you learned from? Who have your role models been? Who have you... Who has shown you how you should and if it's how you shouldn't then don't name them but see what you learnt (laughs) (laughs) Uh, first one I've learnt from a a colleague who recently retired back end of last year I'd worked with him for 12 years so over that time it became very much for sort of a mentoring relationship even if it wasn't explicitly stated that that's what we were we were doing so I yep. picked up various tips, hints, different ways of doing things if a situation appears again. Um, and as I said, 
back end of last year when retirement came up was sort of when I realised you're not just going to be there at the end of the phone straight away to ask you this question yeah. or pick your brains because you're doing the gardening, you're playing around the golf. So <laughs> it, it's, it's yeah. not exactly the same. You're only looking at emails once a fortnight now. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's, that's great, isn't it? And it does show you too that you very often don't realise it, but I'm sure that when you're in factories or when you're speaking to people in different places, you are mentoring other people often in how you look at things, how you break things down, how you cope with volumes of work, how you handle difficult people, all those things. Somebody very often is learning from you, even if it's not an official learning point and and it does make you realize how important it is doesn't it i mean i know we've talked to a lot of people on the podcast and they talk about things that they learn from people they worked with on a saturday when they had a weekend job before they started work or while they were at uni and things and it makes you realize too that just because somebody only comes to work somewhere for six months on a saturday very limited amount of time doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what experience they get because sometimes that will shape what they do for the rest of their life you know so it is really valuable and one of the just to go back to the uh, mm. not doing things so well yes. chase, chase up overdue invoices oh, very quickly yes <laughs> yeah don't don't let it yeah. build up on you too much yeah but i think and i think that's Something, isn't it? I mean, you are not only a food scientist, but you're a business manager when you work for yourself. And so it's balancing those two things because looking at your workflow, planning who you're going to be, doing all your timetable, doing your accounting, making sure that you're putting in bids for things when they come up and doing all those different parts of it, but it all matters. So it's striking a balance, isn't it, on all of it? it it's it's tricky at times, like anything, because, yep. yeah, you've got to cover all of that as well as the, the, the day job. <laughs> yeah, and as well as trying to have some kind of other life as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not straightforward, is it? Now... Here's one that I know you'll enjoy telling me about. Too much of what is never enough? Chocolate. <laughs> and Definitely chocolate. Do we have specifications on that chocolate or just absolutely anything? Uh, preferably milk, preferably with hazelnuts, preferably decent cocoa solids content. Yep. Having said that, I will eat the cheap and nasty stuff full of extra vegetable fats at the lower end of the scale, as well yeah. as my, you know, blocks for Harrods and thought them, yeah. so, you know, £50 for a small box of chocolates. I know. It's good. Uh, uh, there are there are things to be commended in all of those, aren't there? You know, because the affordable treat is a, is a great thing because it can just lift your spirits. And But I also think sometimes when you get something that is very expensive then it also makes you control how you eat it which is probably not a bad thing either yeah. so <laughs> we um i work sometimes with the um, sge the swiss government 
inward in, or outward investment team, the people that help you bring Swiss products to UK. And whenever you land in Switzerland on a Swiss air flight, they come and bring everybody a piece of chocolate. <laughs> and <Wow>. I think <laughs> there's, there's the reason why they eat more chocolate per head of the population than any other country, because they're giving it away to everybody every time the plane lands. But it's a great thing. A nice flight with a little bit of chocolate at the end of it. So it's funny, isn't it? Um, people often talk about stepping outside their comfort zone and doing things that they never imagined they'd do. What What is that thing for you that you've done that you think, I never thought I would have done that necessarily? Doing what I do now. Uh, yep. Working for myself. I Running your own business. I never, ever thought I'd end up working for myself. I would work in the food industry, technical manager, quality manager, technologist, advisor, some capacity, not actually work for myself, plan my own diary, worry about cash flow, chase up overdue invoices, do, do all, do all, all that kind stuff. of stuff. So doing, doing and exactly what How do did now. it happen then that you found yourself doing that? This, what uh, uh, made you take the jump? It was a job I had as a quality manager that was just not for me. I mm. was taking a full-time job, passed the interview, had a nice chat. Reality was not the job we discussed. The working hours were not what we discussed. I was working longer hours for less pay. There were some lots of internal politics in the, the factory going on. It just didn't sit well, and that was the first job ever. I think I don't I didn't even complete the um, probation period. It just Goodness. wasn't for me. It no, was just a bad match. Men- mentally as well, even just was not working. So we left. I got some extra um, subcontracted labelling advice work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest is history. It, it, that grew and grew and grew. And then I ended up doing my own work. And then I met you because you did some work with somebody that we were also doing some work with and when I said who do you use for this she said we've got a great guy and and so from there which is I think you said about 12 14 years ago something like that I think so yeah yeah that's amazing that's where time has gone but it was a great thing something that I'm very grateful that we we stumbled upon you because it's been really helpful to lots of of businesses and you worked with me on a project that we did with Tunisian businesses too, where you're trying to explain to people from outside the UK what matters here, what what is legally required of them, and but also what customers' expectations are of things, which is sometimes very different. So it's always useful to have people that can strip things right back at that point and and show them because it's okay, this is what you want on the label and there is a balance, as you and I have said other times, between marketing and what is legally required because without both, without one, the other one won't happen, but without legal labelling, it just won't stay on the shelf. You know, I mean, it'll be gone, it'll be taken away, but without marketing, you won't sell it either. So there is a balance, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah. What is something um, that you've learned about yourself? What, or I mean, this is slightly different from stepping outside your comfort zone was pitching up for yourself. But 
do you think, if you're looking at what you've learned about yourself, are you a more organised person than you gave yourself credit for? Are you more able to plan ahead? What what skill do you have that you think you just assume everybody has, but actually you now realise you're good at that and that has made what you do easier for it, you? It's probably being organised, logical minds to get from A to B, working for certification. Um, I just assume read the standard everybody we, we thinks from, like that we get from a to z yeah exactly everyone thinks yeah. the same way this is what we need to do to sort this problem we buy x we train people we do y there's some evidence to go with it that that's how how we do it and we move on and then you get different people thinking well no we've just bought it without thinking about the other parts that's the yep. way we do it not not everybody thinks the same so sometimes we have to make the jigsaw fit the actual frame rather than doing the, the outer pieces first and then working inwards. Anyway. Um, we might need to turn a piece round to make it fit. Um, so, yeah, it's probably not everyone works the same for the, for the same, yeah. same scenario. I think that's true. If somebody was going to start a business like yours, what would you say to them is the thing you've got to get? You've got to do this to get yourself on a firm footing before you get going, prioritise this. What's the thing that, that you would say they have to prioritise? It would be finances and insurance as the, the two main. Yep. Some, squirrel something away just in case. Yep. Not just to, to get you started. Keep something yes. in reserve. and then Always also, work with a bit of a float almost. Yeah, uh-huh. because it's nice to put your invoice in got a big piece of work thousands and thousands on the invoice 30 days later might turn into 95 days before you see those thousands and thousands yes and then the other part would be to get shop around for a good insurer that actually understands what you're offering as a business so if you're doing tailors it to your business exactly there's so many different roles that you do as a food safety consultant that yep. some areas are perceived as higher risk by insurers than others. Yep. So buying one set of insurance for business or management consultant, which tends to be quite common, yeah, probably doesn't... isn't sufficient for, for what we actually what we actually do. No. You want I... f- food safety trainer or food safety consultants, have a, have a discussion, don't buy an yeah, off the shelf. You need to have a discussion too, don't you? I mean, I know that from years and years ago when we used to do things like BBC Good Food Show and things where we would help on a brand or in a theatre behind the scenes getting everything organised so that cookery demonstrations happen seamlessly or we'd be working with celebrity chefs and different people and I remember then how much that jumped our insurance up because they said were you to do something wrong and that person got injured food poisoning whatever and they were about to do a 12-part television series their insurer will come after you for the money for that you know and and then I remember being able to say look we just don't do stuff like that anymore so we need to take the cover that allowed for that off our insurance policy but it is. It's is really important that they do understand. And I know our insurers always say, "Can you talk me through a typical week?" No such thing exists. So you have to talk them through 
the 10 biggest projects on your job list last year and the two that fit outside that the most as well and then reach a compromise on on what you're covered for. But I do think insurance cover, folk do, you know, you hear folks saying go for a trade association one that's like Federation of Small Businesses or something, which is great if you do something very down the line and very straightforward and things. But as you say, I mean, because, you know, sometimes you could be advising people on labelling and they might be about to do a massive print run in China and then ship something over or, you know, and, and so it could be big amounts of money that they are tying up in something. So you want to be sure you've got the insurance for that, don't you? It's devil, devil is in the detail. Mm. And as a lawyer once told me, you'll only ever know how good we are when you get in a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. You know, I mean, anything like that seems like a lot of money to spend on something. But when somebody else decides to use your company name or whatever it is, then you realise why it matters that you've got that all spelled out in an agreement or in insurance or, you know, because it's the only way you can cover yourself for things like that really, isn't it? Are you a reader? Do you read to switch off? Do you read business books? Do you read personal development books? What do you enjoy reading? No, but I should do. <laughs> Being That's honest. Okay. Do you listen to online audiobooks or no, anything, I, or do I, I you just never find the time? You're just I, reading trade I magazines. I think part of it is, is finding the time. I've got a stack yep. of IFST back, yep. backlogs uh, of food science and technology magazines to go through. There's a pile of book, books on my desk at the moment for another client to do some background reading about a specialised bit of food processing Lots of tabs in there, sat on my desk. I really need to sit down, read them, go through yep. them, file them, or use it. But it is difficult when work comes in. Yep. Reading a magazine article is nice, but actually doing the work, billing, and helping and actually, somebody. And actually, too, what you find is you will read the magazine article when you get a piece of work that directly applies to it. Yeah. So yeah. knowing that you've got it. I also used to catch up on my reading a lot if I was on trains, going places, can't read in a bus, but I can read in a train. And now because I'm not travelling as much as that, I don't get through some of those yeah. things as quickly as I would like to. The, the one time I've probably done the most reading is going from Glasgow to Fort William. Fair enough. <laughs> four hours. Not a lot. Four hours yes. on the train. And, yeah. and also, so I quite often go London to Glasgow. So, again, four and a half hours. It's a good read. Yeah. And in, <laughs> Inverness to Wick is also another mm. another good reading route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. But it's, it's true, isn't it? And we always prioritise things for other people. From the work that you're doing and that you've seen going on in the last year and things, what food and drink category do you think folk will be talking about at the end of 2022? What do you think the up and coming or the thing that's really going to show itself this year is? I think there's still, there's probably two, the vegan meat substitute products yep. and fish substitutes. That, yep. that market just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Bigger. And defining itself a bit more like it, it's not enough that it's vegan now, but it actually has to contribute 
some nutrition to to your diet. And it's got to I think it's got to look initially. good. Packaging's yeah. got to be right. Sustainability credentials, the texture. That there's a lot still going on with that. And then the yep. other one, I think, which is starting to take off again and has reared its head is insect protein. All right. That seems to have come back um, partly to do with positive statements from European Food Safety Authority, um, giving yeah. it a positive use of insects. It, it's food, been something that there's been a license to sale in Switzerland for quite a few years. So we, we've done some stuff before with a Swiss company that is selling insect meatballs into both the main supermarkets in Switzerland. I actually wondered in this country if it had been passed by the other category that you you know because I wondered if there was so much plant based stuff that was sustainable and and things like that that people had kind of gone beyond needing insect protein. So that's really interesting that you think those two could both be the. I, th- I think just to muddy the water with the vegan and sustainability. Yep. Uh, issue is it's that it's not always exactly consumers are looking yes. at sustainability and actually it may be more sustainable to have insect protein or fish than actually some of the plant products that are needed to to make the vegan, vegan one of the things fish. that i hadn't thought about insect protein until we were doing this work with the swiss company was where the insects came from because they said we are european using european reared insects and then I thought, I hadn't really thought. I just imagined that it was very local that you were doing that. But obviously other people are bringing them from the Far East or from Africa or, you know, from other places too. So that wasn't something that had occurred to me until they raised that as their kind of USP. And I thought, gosh, that's interesting. So, yeah, on either of these, you probably can't assume. You have to get to the bottom of where everything came from. I was watching a piece the other day, I don't know if you saw, that folk were talking about how expensive a whole jackfruit had, was for sale in Borough Market. A whole jackfruit was £160. Now, you know, it's about the size of a small child. It's quite a big thing. And then they were asking, because apparently this guy was a Brazilian BBC reporter, I think, and he had taken a photo of it on his Twitter feed and said, look at the price of this. And loads of folk in Brazil were saying... I'm giving up my day job because these are a pound each here <laughs> and I could be making lots of money. But it's apparently very difficult to transport whole and fresh and things. And so then they went to a couple of restaurants and they were asking them, how do you get it? And how many portions do you think you would get out of that whole jackfruit and things? But a lot of it obviously comes into this country frozen. But again, that's not necessarily the most sustainable if it's coming from Brazil, frozen, possibly not the most environmentally sustainable way to bring it either. You know, so it is amazing when you start to look at things, how it's not just cut and dried always. Yeah, the, the um, talked about the sustainability aspect, the water footprint of food is right. start, starting to be become yep. more of an issue again. So it's always been in the background, but water footprint, we, we've done air miles, we've done carbon something. footprints. Yeah. It, it's now the water footprint. Yeah. It's, even for the UK, water quality is declining and water footprints on foods would be the next potential labelling 
thing to go right. with the other sustainability credentials and logos on the um, back of pack or front of pack. Final question for you. If you were going to be marooned on a desert island, what three either foods or pieces of food equipment would you want with you? You can be as practical or as impractical as you want to. Num- number one, obviously, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, number two, probably raspberries, because I, right. I can eat raspberries till the cows come home. Brilliant. And then third thing, probably a decent knife. Decent sharp knife. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.